Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash Patchwork Heart Ministry today. Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry present Journeys in Faith. Now, here's Andy Santis. Hi, welcome to Journeys in Faith. This is Anne DeSantis, and I am your host. It's great to be with, here with you this evening on this July 3rd. And I'm very excited because this evening I have with me Alexandra Andrews. She is a fertility care practitioner intern from Western New York. So, Alexandra, thank you for being with us on Journeys in Faith. Uh, you're welcome. And thank you, Anne, for um, inviting me to come on your show. I'm, I'm very excited. Yes, I am too. Now, for our viewers, uh, Alexandra is a wife and a mom. She has two boys, ages five and two and a half. I'm sure you're busy. Yeah. As I know that is such busy. a busy time of, of life. And Alexandra is going to spend this time with us, uh, not only talking about her work in fertility care, which she is a Creighton fertility care practitioner, but also mm -hmm. her own life journey because uh, she has quite a bit to share with us. It is a pro-life message. So I'm very excited for all of you to hear her story. So Alexandra, please share with us. Yes, thank you. So as I share, I wanted to start out with a psalm that I came across um, recently, and it's Psalm 118, and it says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. I thank, the, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And I came across that psalm as I was reflecting on them during Lent this year, and when I read that, I was just like, oh my goodness, like that really encompasses like what God's purpose is for me and has been for me in my life. And, and so I want to obviously begin with that. And so <clears throat> my story begins in Moscow, Russia back in 1988. And my um, birth mother, Nadezhda, she was living in the city of Moscow and she was a bookkeeper in her late 30s. She lived in an apartment with her father, who, from what I understand, ha had cancer at the time, so she was taking care of him. She had become pregnant, but didn't want to be pregnant, and so she 
was unsuccessful in attempting an abortion that led to my premature birth at seven months. And I was born in clinical, clinic hospital number 53 in Moscow and I weighed two and a half pounds and I was 15 inches long. And so <clears throat> for three months I was in the hospital and then upon release of Upon my release from the hospital, my mother made the decision to give me over to state maintenance, so basically to an orphanage, since I was born premature and due to the inability of her to take care of me. And so I went from the hospital to Moscow Children's Home number 25, and my mother would return to her home, and I had no further contact with her, and, or, you know, she didn't have any further contact with me or the children's home um, after that. So. You know, I, the, the, you know, my entrance into the world was really without fanfare and, and no one was really anticipating my arrival. And the only home that I knew was either the, the walls of the hospital or the children's home. And, you know, growing up, I just felt like back then that, you know, no one really had room for me anywhere and that I really wasn't wanted anywhere. And so I went to the orphanage and I was there for four years. And thankfully I had a really, really good, um, there was a nurse there who kind of took to me and she kind of became my foster mom or, you know, I guess you could say in the, in the, um, in the orphanage. And I, and my, um, Adoptive parents later told me that when I first came over to the United States, I taught I would talk about this lady a lot and that's how they knew knew about her and things like that. But so fast forward four years or two years um, to 1990 and um, Betty Genter was living in in Western New York and she was a 54 year old newly retired school teacher and administrator. She lived on a farmhouse with her husband Adolf who was 57 years old and they had a son Joseph who at the time was a senior in high school and so Betty and Adolf had also been foster parents for 14 years and had over the years a total of six foster children and so it was the fall of 1990 and my mom or Betty she wasn't my mom yet but Betty <laughs> um, was sitting down to watch 2020 and it was the episode titled nobody's children and it was a follow-up to an April 1990 segment on American couples trying to adopt Romanian orphans. And the particular show that night was bringing to light what was described as state-run asylums where children with mental and physical defects were banished by their government that had branded them as worthless. And so my mother was sitting there watching it and she just started crying and she brought, she brought her husband in to watch and she thought, you know, here we are from retired from really good jobs, living in this big, beautiful house that's still full of children's toys and books. And there, these children in this orphanage have nothing. They don't have any hope. They don't have any medical help with or attention that they need. They don't have good food and they don't have any education. And, you know, being an educator for 30 years before that and having a love for children, she was just like, you know, there's, there has to be something that we can do. And, you know, my older brother, he was going to be going off to college and and she was like, I don't want to have an empty house anymore. So little did I know living in Moscow Children's Home that they were going to become my new parents. And, you know, they immediately called the number at the end of the program and got information to become, uh, um, to become approved for adoptions. And so now it was a year later in 1991 
and my my mom and dad had gotten um some other applications for families from Romania because originally my they had said you know we want a whole you know we want more than one child we want to have like a few maybe some siblings or something and keep a family together so they had um they had received some some families but many of the children were just so severely had so many severe medical things wrong with them that they felt at their age like this is just too much for us to handle and so so my mom kind of thought you know maybe we're not going to find the child that we're looking for and and so a year goes by and she receives a call from the adoption agency and they're like how would you like a little girl from russia and she and my mom goes well how old is she and they're like well she's almost four years old and my mom's like no i think she's too young and so the agency was like well if you change your mind send us a video overnight by mail and or if you change your mind let us know and we can you know send you the send you her this child's information overnight by mail so my dad comes home and she shared the news with him and he goes well it wouldn't look to hurt at it or it wouldn't look to her wouldn't hurt to look at yes, it yeah. <laughs> you know why don't you why don't you send for it so I joke that those were like the famous last words. <laughs> oh. So they get they get this video and um and a photo and a background of my short life, a, a short, you know, short little write up of my life and a, a little photo of me in this video. And they, you know, they spent the weekend watching it over and over again. They show it to relatives, and the accompanying paperwork said that I lived at Moscow Children's Home 25 since shortly after my birth, that I was diagnosed with spastic paralysis or what is known also as cerebral palsy that affected my lower extremities. And so um, I didn't learn to walk until I was three years old. And when I, when I did, I had to hold on to everything and I walked on my toes like a ballerina. And the paperwork also said that I was developmentally slow with psychomotor and speech development. Now, my mom, being a teacher, looked at the video and was like, well, there's nothing wrong with her psychomotor and speech development. I can tell just by looking at her. And in the video, I'm like, I'm looking out the window and I'm looking at the birds out the window. And there's this one moment in the video where um, I look out the window and I, I smile at whatever it was. And my mom said it was in that smile that I had where she knew in her heart, she was like, that's the child we're meant to have. You know, we need to have her. We need to have her just from that she's like you know I just saw you smiling out the window and I knew and I was like oh you know that's really awesome and she always would tell me that story growing up and uh so you know they you know my parents had shared the video with the local orthopedic surgeon for his opinion and he also said yes she has cerebral palsy you know it's something it's a non-progressive motor disorder which means that basically some portion in her brain was damaged that controls muscle function and overall his assessment was you know with what with um bracing and surgery her walking could improve and the bottom line he told her was um she's as bad as she's going to be because this is non-progressive and if she doesn't improve at all is that something that's acceptable to, for you as her parents and again, you know, my mom knew in her heart, you know, all this child really needs is some love and, you know, some braces and a little bit of surgery and she'll do fine. And it's really interesting, too, because my mom herself was born with um, some musculoskeletal deformities. You know, she was 
born without a ball and socket in one of her hips and her parents were told she'll never walk, she'll never ride a bike, she'll never do this and she'll never do that. And she did all of those things. And so I, you know, she, uh, she said too, she felt kind of like a special connection to me when she was told all these things and was told, you know, when this paperwork said, oh, she's slow and she won't be able to do this very well or that. And my mom's like, no, she'll be able to do it. And, and so it was, um, December 8th, 1991, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, when my parents formally had formally accepted to adopt me and invited me to become part of their family. And so it wasn't until, so then it wasn't until the spring of 1992 that my birth mother gave her consent for my adoption. And then I was at that time officially considered abandoned by my parents. And then it wasn't until June of 1992 that I was considered officially adopted. And then I came to the US in July of, July 31st of 1992, I came to the JFK airport. My only belongings were the, the clothes I was wearing, the shoes I had on. And then um, my parents had given me a little white stuffed teddy bear that I still have to this day as a gift when they arrived at the airport. And so that's how I ended up in the US. And then once I got here, um, you know, I quickly became attached to my new family and to my new surroundings and everything. Everything was my this, my that. So my mama, my papa, I never wanted to be out of their sight. And, um, you know, (laughs) within the first three months of being in the U.S., my mom recalled, you know, after one week in America, I was able to count to five on all fingers in English. I could say my name. I could set the table. I slept through the night. Um, At 10 weeks, I didn't speak any Russian anymore. And then I soon started preschool and occupational and physical therapy because I was four years old, you know, when I came. And then, um, so, you know, I started getting those services right away to help. And then it wasn't until December of 1993 that I became a U.S. citizen. Um, There was a special children's ceremony in Niagara Falls and, and living in Western New York where, you know, a couple an hour or so away from the falls so we went up there and I became a citizen and um I don't remember it but I've got some pictures of it and it was looked pretty cool (laughs) it was pretty special so um so then my medical journey to help correct the cerebral palsy started in 1992 and that's when my parents sent me to Buffalo Children's Hospital and paired me up with a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and I worked with him over the next seven years to have surgeries and um, I had casts where, and I wore leg braces, I had physical therapy. And the purpose of all of that was to, um, the reason why I walked on my toes was because I, the, um, the heel cords and the, basically the tendons in my legs were like really, really tight. And that's why I walked on my toes. So all of the surgeries I had were to go in and to basically stretch those out and try to lengthen them as best I could. And then all the other interventions were for the same thing. And so by 2001, I no longer needed to see Dr. G- Dr. Gillespie was his name. And, um, but he made a lasting impression on me. And, you know, all of those visits that I had as a young child at the hospital and just being aware of the medical community and all that really left him, um, an impression on me. And I, you know, as I got older, I became a nurse and I really feel like that was a big reason why. And so growing up, aside from that, a really happy childhood. I mean, I loved going to school. I loved 
playing. I loved, you know, nature and being outside. I was very active as much as I could be, you know, as much as a little child is. And, um, you know, went through, went through public school up until fourth grade. And then I switched over to a, a Catholic school from middle school all the way through high school. And during high school, I enjoyed being like in mission club and choir and bell choir and drama club and yearbook and things like that, all these things that I was interested in. And, and, you know, I was very happy with my family and I, you know, I, you know, it was, it was good. So. Uh, then, I, so far, it's just a beautiful story. And uh, <laughs> thank you. I, I, I won't lie. I mean, during listening to your story, I'm trying to hold back some tears <laughs> because it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And, and the hand of God, the hand of God that yeah. came through your, your parents here and um, your mother uh, and your father. So, uh, so far, it's so beautiful. So please continue. We have about, um, you know, 10 more minutes till our break. We do have to take a commercial okay. break, which I'm kind of on the edge of my seat just listening. Uh, but, yeah. but please do pick up with this story. Sure. So, um, you know, I knew when I got out of high school that I wanted to go in the medical field. So I went, I went to nursing school and it was during nursing school that I was able to take some Russian language courses. And I was like, oh, that'd be great. Cause I couldn't, I didn't remember any of the Russian that I knew as a, as a toddler. And so as part of that language course program, I was able to do a study abroad in the summer of 2009. And I went back to Moscow or not Moscow. Sorry. I went back to a city called, um, Veliki Novgorod, and it's located between Moscow and St. Petersburg. And I was there about a month and a half, and I stayed with a host mother, and I got to, um, you know, I took language courses while I was there. And then we all, you know, all the students, we all each had internships. And one of the internships, or the one that I chose, was to work in an orphanage. And I did it, you know, purposefully because I wanted to see, like, what does an orphanage look like? And so I worked, I worked there with children that were about 10 children that were like four to eight years old. And, you know, that was just a really eye-opening experience. And the, um, the ladies that worked there said that, you know, many of the parents were just dropped off because the parent there at the orphanage, they weren't, they weren't necessarily like true orphans. They had families, but, um, the, the, the families just didn't want to take care of them or couldn't because they didn't have a steady drop, steady job. They did alcohol or drugs. And so it was just really, really sad to know that. And then there was one child that actually like truly like didn't have any family and, and was there, um, you know, but sometimes the parents would come and visit the children and then they would just go back home again. But they didn't visit very often. And I don't know, it just, when I left Russia, I was like, oh, I wish I could take all these kids home with me. And, and you know, I, yes. you know, now it's what, 11 years later and I wonder you know what what happened to those children but it was just a really really interesting experience and it was really awesome to just go to russia and just see see the country and like kind of you know see where did i come from and so i graduated from nursing school and went into nursing and um you know i met my husband and at the end of high school and um when when i graduated from nursing school i we got married and and things like that and then you know, it, it, that's basically how everything happened. But, and, and 
everything from the outside when you were looking at me you would say oh you know wow that's amazing and everything turned out great and wonderful but you know behind all of that i suffered with or you know i i struggled with a lot of emotional and um you know mental health i guess you could say issues and and some people have called that like the adopted child syndrome it kind of it was given a name and it the syndrome includes like attachment disorders lying and stealing or some of the behaviors that are associated with it um symptoms other symptoms you could have are having like depression separation anxiety feelings of loss low self-esteem and it's like and um so a lot of those things are are what some psychologists say are caused from um this thing called the primal wound which Mm. is which is from that severing of the of the um relationship between the child and the biological mother at birth and so the interruption of this natural relationship due to the separation of the mother and child creates this wound within the child and then the trauma from the separation is felt subconsciously throughout the child you know throughout that child's life and and um i never really heard like had put a name to it or anything like that until a few years ago but when i was reading about it i was like oh that makes a lot of sense and you know personally i personally i saw a lot of those behaviors in myself like I suffered with separation anxiety um, and, you know, low self-esteem. I did have, I did go through a period of lying and just having struggles in that area of like with my parents growing up in middle school and things like that. And, you know, and the other thing too, is like outside of the home, I always wanted to be like a perfectionist because I felt like if I'm, if I can be a perfectionist, then people will like me. No one will reject me. And, you know, I won't, be seen as bad and everyone will accept me you know i was just so i was just striving for that acceptance in every person that i met to you know to you know because of the feelings of rejection that i you know were just kind of with me ever since i was born you know even subconsciously that i didn't even realize it and so i had been through counseling through all of my life like you know right before kindergarten I had an evaluation you know with a psychologist and and then kind of ever since in different stages of my whole life I've I've um, sought out counseling and it and it was it was that was the start of me really figuring out like you know why I was feeling this way and and this and that and why I was so hypersensitive to rejection and and so it was a very positive and helpful intervention and so what I started noticing um, too that I would do is I journaled throughout through ever since I was like in elementary school or could start writing, I always kept a journal and I still have all of my journals. And, you know, as I was, as I've looked over them through the years, I had like this kind of um, consistent, you know, thing that I would, that I would write about how frustrated I was that, you know, I had, you know, that I always felt anxious, that I always felt this way about myself, and I didn't want to keep feeling, feeling these, feeling this way, and, and I, you know, I, and, um, you know, being raised Catholic and everything, I, I had a relation, you know, I 
knew about God and his love and this and that. And that, you know, everybody says, well, God has a plan for you. And I'd always be like, well, I don't know what that plan is. Like I, you know, I just want God to help me with this, with these feelings of anxiety and feeling depressed and, and, you know, how, you know, I would ask him as I was journaling, you know, help me with all of this, please, because I don't want to, you know, keep going through all of this. And so, you know, wow. You know, over, you know, after many, many years, I mean, it took 30 years for me to finally, for God to, you know, to bring all these different people in my life and to, to get me through to the other side of those feelings in terms of how I felt personally about myself and, you know, dealing with the, the emotional um, repercussions and, and whatnot of knowing that my mother placed me up for or first tried to have an abortion and then placed me up for adoption. You know, my parents were very honest with me from the beginning. As as far as long as I can remember, they were like, yep, you were adopted. And I think it probably was around middle school that they were like, you know, and this is what, you know, she did attempt an abortion. And my, you know, my, my father especially was very active in the pro-life movement. And so I knew, you know, I knew about the sanctity of human life from a very young age. And and then just having that personal connection to it. Wow. Um, yeah. Alexandra, thank you. So I know I, I, I truly hate to interrupt. Um, we do have to take a break for just a few minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. this, your story is incredible. And, and so far, I mean, I just thank you for sharing everything that you've shared, your openness and how God has uh, worked in your life but also how God's love has always kind of protected you too. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm excited for our listeners and viewers to hear the rest of your story. And you know, your story is still being played out, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're so only I, in your thirties now. So it's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. truly uh, a gift to, to uh, be part of listening to your story. Now we're on also on a podcast. So we say hello to our friends on YouTube, Podbean and TuneIn app. Um, and also we are still on here, Fiat Ministry Network TV show. So we will be back in just a few minutes with Alexandra Andrews. See you soon. Well, the St. Raymond Anadas Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith is an expression and an application from the Mercedarian Religious Order. And what we do is outreach to families in crisis, and our initial mission is to families and individuals affected by divorce and separation. We're doing special outreach right now online. What we're doing is we are uh, having these monthly online support groups for uh, individuals who are affected by divorce and separation. The divorce group is on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then we have another group at the end of the month, the last Thursday of each month, and that's at 8 o'clock at night uh, Eastern Standard Time for adult children of divorce. The focus of those groups are prayer, reflection, sharing in a safe place, and also attended by a Mercedarian friar and myself and guided by the teachings of the church.
Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present the Discover Your Mission series. St. Paul is saying, you know, I am the most frustrated with you right now, God. I cannot be any more frustrated with you. Okay, dude? Like, I am trying to overcome this sin in my life. I am trying to overcome this, and I'm getting nothing. I'm getting zero. I can't even share with you how I was so wrote in my faith. And I was attending Mass, but I was not present. I was a good man, I was a good father, I was instilling the sacraments into my family, but uh, I was definitely not intentional. I was stuck rope in my faith. But what kind of strength did he have? Jackie did not just have a strength of body or baseball skill. He had a strength inside of his spirit a courageous meekness that empowered him to play the game. My husband comes home from work and I tell him what is going on with me and he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, 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 I think this is like some sort of miracle, dude. And he's like, oh, you know, of course, but I'll believe it when I see it, honey. You've been trying to quit and you've been saying this and saying that. And I'm, a, you know, he his big line to me is, you shouldn't say things <laughs> because I never follow through on them. And so this was week after week, month after month. He is looking at me like, this is a miracle. There is no way that you on your own could have done this. One example, when you're getting onto an airplane, but you haven't thought about your faith and you haven't thought about confession, but Flying is not something that you do often. So, okay, I guess this whole uh, hell thing possibly could have some truth to it. Um, I don't know if I buy into this whole thing, but um, I'm going to be intentional at this moment and I'm going to go to confession, not reconciliation, where penance and confession reconcile to that person who shares an imperfect contrition, it is truly just confession that they're doing because they're not reconciling. Welcome back to Journeys in Faith. This is Anne DeSantis with my amazing guest, Alexandra Andrews, coming to us from Western New York. Thank you so much again, Alexandra. And I also just want to uh, give you a couple websites so people who are watching or listening on podcast. She is a fertility care practitioner intern, and there's two websites that you can go to to learn more about the work that she does. One is fertility care rochesternewyork.com so that's rochesterny.com and then the mm -hmm. other one is fertilitycare.org so we'll talk more about that toward the end of the program but alexandra you left us off with your story 
and also some of the feelings and and issues that you had when you were sort of in the teenage years and and then even when you discovered later on that your mother had attempted the abortion so maybe we can pick up there yeah yeah so so the discovery of my mother having an abortion i mean that happened probably as in middle school and so just having that knowledge it kind of you know further had me struggle with self-esteem and and just my feelings of self-worth about myself and you know like i had said i had a really good upbringing i had all that emotional support that i really needed a really loving family great friends great teachers but you know that that wasn't enough having you know knowing what i knew and so i still struggled with all those things and i know that i would have struggled much much more had i not had all of those great support systems in my life but you know there was just still something missing and i was like you know and i just didn't know what it was or how to put my hand you know put my finger on it but through counseling i came across this wonderful counselor and um he said something that resonated deeply with me and he he had worked at a pregnancy crisis center with women who had had abortions and he was telling me about that experience and he said that what he had learned from just talking with those mothers was that they were faced with the choice of abortion and when they were faced with that they were making one of the most difficult decisions decisions of their life if not the most difficult decision of their life but he but the counselor had said you know when they made that decision either way, it wasn't a personal rejection of the person their baby was becoming in the womb or may or may not have become in the future. When my own mother made that decision to have an abortion, she didn't know, she didn't do it knowing that I was gonna be a girl with blonde hair and blue eyes who would one day grow up to be a wife and a mother and a nurse. You know, she, there was no possible way she would have known that. I couldn't take her rejection personally against who I was as a person. And he went on further to say, you know, that God's acceptance of me has to be greater than her rejection. He chose, God chose me. We're all chosen by God. And the love that he has for us needs to be above all the love that we, that other people have for us. It has to supersede all other love. And I just felt like, you know, when he said that, it was like all these, like a big wall had like come down. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I had never thought about that before. I've never, I've never looked at it like that before. And that was kind of the, the start of the process of, of healing. And then there were other people and other events that came into my life that started me on this journey of, you know, healing. And the other thing was that my, my um, mother, Betty passed away about five years ago. And it, and um, at the right around when she passed away, literally like a, a, well, my first son was born and then she died like a, a nine days after that. So I had my first child and then my mother dies. And those two events happening the way that they did was just like another big, like, you know, big life change. And, you know, I become a mother for the first time and then my mother is gone. And so, and so I truly felt like, you know, there was, that was another loss of another mother. I mean, it was, you know, the first loss of the mother I never knew. And then the second loss of the mother, the only mother I did know. And now I'm, and now I am a mother. And so it kind of brought everything full circle. And I started to realize, you know, how much I loved my child, how much I loved my child. And then obviously, since I've had my second son, 
the same and even more so, but, you know, as a mother, I was like, you know, I can't, there's nothing that I could do to, for, to forget about my child, even if, you know, for some reason they were taken from me or something happened or whatnot. And so I started thinking of my own biological mother, not from the lens of being her child and being rejected, but now as a mother who has children. And so I started being more empathetic towards her. And especially after the counselor had told me that, I was like, you know what? I said, you know, I was just like, I need to, you know, well, it wasn't even that I wanted to start thinking about her more. It just started happening. Like Mother's Day came around a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, this was after my son had been born and after my, my mother had died. And I was, um, it was the end of Mother's Day and I was getting ready for bed. And out of nowhere, like this thought about my biological mother came to me and it was so strong and I couldn't like get rid of it. Mm. <laughs> I know I, you know, I couldn't like get it out of my mind, even if I had wanted to at the moment. But I, at that moment, I thought to myself, you know, where is she? Does she, is she thinking about me? Like, is she okay? You know, I just had all this curiosity about where she is in life. And, um, and from there, it just kind of, God was changing my heart to say, you know, I need to forgive her. And so, Amen. and, um, you know, it, it, um, it really, you know, he, God used all these experiences to heal me and, and to, to help me realize that what I truly needed to do was to, was to understand kind of maybe my biological mother's perspective as to perhaps why she did this. And then know that it wasn't anything in particular against me and then be able to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make that conscious effort to forgive her. And, and, um, through the, through the journey of becoming, becoming a Creighton model practitioner, um, so the Creighton model of, of fertility care and the women's health science of natural technology was developed by Dr. Hilgers. And he, this was back in the 70s, and he created a scientific, systematic way for women to understand their own personal fertility. And with that understanding and that knowledge, women could be empowered to make decisions that maintain their moral integrity and the dignity of themselves as a human person and help to um, you know, sustain the integrity of marriage and family and help to realize that fertility is a true gift from God and that, you know, Dr. Hilgers created the Creighton Method in response to Pope Paul VI's encyclical Humanae Vitae, um, you know, where he talks about the sanctity of, of human life and the reason why the Catholic Church could not support, um, you know, birth control. And that was the, the purpose of the document. And then um, in the end of the document, he had said to doctors, like, you need to come up, science needs to come up with a natural way that's cooperative with um, a woman and man's fertility for them to, you know, space their families or meet the needs of their, of their family planning. And um, so that's where the Creighton system came out, came out of was Dr. Hilger's responding to that call. And then, um, so that's where I'd learned about, you know, is through learning, through becoming a practitioner that I learned about this Humanae Vitae. And then from there about theology of the body, which yes. Pope Paul 
talks about, which he took the teachings from Humanae Vitae and expanded on them. And then all of the talks that he had became this theology of the body. And so when I learned about theology of the body over the last, you know, year or so, I was just like, it was like God was whispering into my heart and he was answering those questions that I had all my life, you know, that, you know, who told me that I was rejected, that what I wasn't wanted and that I wasn't worthy of love, the things that I was telling myself, like, where did those feelings originate? And, you know, as I'm studying theology, theology of the body, and I was listening to Christopher West, who's a very um, well-known speaker about theology of the body. Um, I encourage the, the audience to look into that, but yes, you know, he, he talks a lot about, um, you know, who is, who is our real enemy here? And if we can for a moment, I want to go back to Genesis real quick. You know, at the beginning of Genesis, God creates man and woman out of love because he loved, he loved us and wanted a relationship. We were obviously made in God's image and likeness and we were perfect. And Genesis 3 says that man and his wife were naked and they weren't ashamed. They had no reason to have any shame or fear because they had perfection through God. And then, of course, tragedy strikes and Satan deceives Adam and Eve. And then it says further in Genesis 3 that the eyes of both of them are open and they knew that they were naked. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden on a, in the cool of the day and man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord called out to them and said, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then God responds, who told you that you were naked? And as I was like reading that passage and kind of reflecting on theology of the body, it kind of just hit me that, you know, who who deceived them? It was It was obviously, you know, Satan, and he was the one that told them that they they had to be shame, you know, that brought shame and fear and and all of this in into their lives and broke that relationship, that perfect relationship they had with God. And then they felt the need to hide from God and run from him. And the beautiful thing that I love about that passage is that, you know, right after that happened, God is looking for them while yeah. they start running. He immediately is seeking them out. And, um, and so it just kind of dawned on me and it made me realize, you know, my enemy all along has been Satan you know, making me feel this way. And, it, you know, Revelation, you know, Genesis 3 goes on to say, God will, God says to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and yours. And then in Revelation 12, it says that the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. And it's like, you know, Satan names all of his hatred at women and her ability to bear offspring. And and, you know, abortion, I really feel is just the, uh, you know, that. <laughs> and yeah, um, it's, the, it's the result of all of that. It's the result. It's the result and of all of that. Yes. Right. So, and so story is just uh, incredible. I'm sure you've heard that more than a few times. <laughs> and I mean, I've, I could just listen to you for the longest time. So, um, yeah. So the, the combination of your story and also what you're doing now. I do want to backtrack just for a minute. You mentioned yeah, that story that your mother saw on the, on 2020. And mm -hmm. I do remember that. I mean, I, I distinctly remember yeah. that show. So I, that uh, definitely is a flashback for myself. And I'm so grateful that you're here with us and 
how yeah. that has worked. So please continue. Okay. I just uh, didn't. Yeah. Want oh to, no. Uh, I, I wanted to mention that too because it's just uh, an amazing story. You know, it's very funny that you say that because whenever I tell this story, there are so many people that are like, I remember that episode. I remember mm -hmm. it. And I, and for a really long time, I was like, huh, that's really, you know, there must have been something about that story. So I want to say it was about a year and a half ago, maybe that I was like, okay, I'm going to find this episode and I'm going to watch it. Oh, well, I am, you know, and so I did, I started doing some searching on Google and I found that episode on YouTube. It was kind of difficult to find but I started watching it and I was just in tears and I was just like no wonder my mother was called to do something like it was just so horrific the things that I saw in there and and I was just like I don't know how someone can watch that and not be moved to want to do something even if they can't go adopt a child like just start praying or you know that's the that's the first thing we could always do you know is to pray for children in those circumstances or for the mothers that think that the that having an abortion is their only option and and so you know what i what as i'm reflecting all these on all these things and like all these reflections kind of just happened over the last couple of years for me to get to where i am now but you know one lie that i carried my whole life was my was that my mother and her rejection was to blame for all these feelings and the truth was that satan had taken her unfortunate decision and had used it against me and used it to cause more destruction in my life than I feel my birth mother had ever intended. Yes. And another, you know, the, uh, the other lie that I believed was that I wasn't wanted, that I wasn't loved and that I wasn't enough. And, you know, me just feeling that way, it kind of suffocated me my whole life. And it, it caused me to not live my life in a more full way because I was just so, you know, I felt kind of like trapped by these feelings and you know, that's why I just feel now, you know, God has called me to, to tell this story. And it took a long time for me to, for me to say to God, yes, I will tell this story. But there were people that came in my life that were like, you should tell this story. This is an amazing story. Because my parents were always telling this story. My mother wrote a book about it, you know, oh. on, on her, yeah, on her end about it. And, you know, growing up and stuff, I, I was just like, yeah, people would come up to me and they'd be like, oh, your story's wonderful. And I'm like, I'd be like, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. And I just kind of didn't want to talk about it. But I, you know, I hadn't gone through this, this whole process of, of this forgiving and everything like that. And, um, you know, it was, it was Holy Thursday, two years ago, I was in church praying after mass and, um, I was just staring up at the crucifix, just saying, just praying. And this feeling came over me. It was, and it came out of nowhere and it was just this super intense feeling of like love. And, and in that moment, I didn't have any more, I didn't have any anxiety. I didn't have any fear. I didn't have any feelings of lack of self-worth. I, all I just felt was love. And I, as I'm looking up at the cross, I, it was as if Jesus was like telling me in the deep down of my soul, he was like, I love you. And I swear I let, I, I was just in that moment. I was like, in, I was in tears and I was like, I wish I could stay right here in this pew all night because this is amazing. And, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, that was Jesus and the Holy Spirit, like renewing me. And ever since then, it kind of, you know, it has renewed my faith and kind of put a new fire in my soul to, to say, okay, you know what? I know what God's purpose is for me now. And I know that he's had a plan for me all along and this is it. And, you know, the abortion, the abortion industry doesn't want you to know that survivors exist. I'm not the only one. Um, I 
over, over the last year, I've, I became aware of the Abortion Survivors Network, and that's that was started by Melissa Odin, who's another abortion survivor. She started this network for other abortion survivors, and so I've gotten in contact with them, but, you know, it's just amazing, and that's brought a lot of healing, too, but, you know, I was just realizing, too, as I was praying that night and looking at the cross, you know, what does Jesus say from the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I truly feel that my mother, when she was making that decision to have an abortion, she didn't know the fullness of the, of the spiritual, the theological, the psychological, moral, emotional, all of those implications and ramifications that that decision was to have on me. And so I felt like, you know, she, there's no way she could have really understood because I feel like if she did, she wouldn't have made that choice. And, you know, if Jesus could forgive from the cross, so I could forgive her. Wow. You know, and so I just kind of was like, you know, I, I do, I forgive her. And, you know, I know there'd be a lot of people that are like, well, I don't know how I could do that knowing knowing that she did something like that. And, and again, I'm, I'm like, well, yes, the, the abortion attempt was probably fundamentally the worst offense that could be ever committed against me. I mean, um, Mother Teresa once said in all the work she has done with the poor, she had said, um, I've, come more to, I've come to realize more and more that being unwanted is the worst disease that any human being can experience. For all kinds of diseases, there are medications and a cure, but for being unwanted, accept that there are willing hands to serve and a loving heart to love. This is a terrible disease that can never be cured. And I, you know, I totally agree with that statement. And once I could separate her actions against me as a person i was able to move on and be able to to forgive and say you know what god loves me and it doesn't matter what she did and she was not obviously in a good place and that left her open to think that this choice was the only choice that she had and so you know my one of the one of the things that i would encourage people is like you know for women that have had abortions like there are resources out there for you to heal. You know, Rachel's Vineyard is one of them that I know off the top of my head, but it's like, you know, as an abortion survivor, I've, I've gotten to the point where I've been able to forgive and to heal. And I don't feel like that defines my life anymore. And I feel like on this flip side for women that have had abortions, they, you know, hopefully they, there is the, the ability to for them to overcome that and not be defined by that choice and that decision that God loves them too as much as much as that He loves me, and is you know He loves them and loves everybody, and so that's kind of like what I what I know that God wants me to say and to tell people and you know every single human life has dignity and worth and it doesn't matter you know your skin color your eye color what differences we all have we're all the same human race. And I think that message especially needs to be heard right now. Amen. And, um, Praise God. Praise God. You know, so. Yes. And you know, I, I want to just say too, if I could, um, when, when I came in with the last set of questions, you were kind of in the middle of that one Bible verse. And I thank mm -hmm. you uh, for sharing that. And just the combination of what's in scripture and then you mentioned theology of the body which i would recommend as you said if people haven't heard yeah. that that are watching or listening to definitely go on google and learn about it 
Uh, mm -hmm. There's Christopher West has some good videos that you can learn about the dignity yes. of the human person. And that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. As you said, yeah. that you have worth your mother, uh, your birth mother has worth uh, every single human from conception until natural death. So yeah. uh, how beautiful is that? So um, I just thank you. I, I just wanted to interject that because I'm seeing how you're bringing all of this together, not only your story and how God brought a tragedy to triumph in your life. Really, he truly has. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, we all have struggles and I'm sure you still do. And I do, yeah. right? We all do. Yeah. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the fact that he has um, maybe what you, maybe you seem to be almost a victim to a, now a victor with God's help, you know? Yeah, uh, with God's help, exactly. That is what your life has become. And, and I'm very proud of, of you and, and your life. And yeah. uh, just, this is just an honor for, for us here at Fiat Ministry Network <laughs> to host you. I'm sure that as people are watching this show thinking, bring her back. She's a good guest. <laughs> uh, now we're coming to about five more minutes left of the show. I want to give you the rest of the program to finish off anything that you would want to discuss. But I do want to remind people that she is also, Alexandra Andrews <laughs> is also a fertility care practitioner intern. And those two websites are fertilitycarerochesterny4newyork.com. And then the other one is fertilitycare.org, where you can learn more about creating natural family planning. So I'm going to give yeah. the rest to you before we end. Um, but you know, thank you so so much so far for sharing this beautiful story. Thank you. Yeah. So I just kind of want to spend the last few minutes just to kind of en encourage people and help them to understand that there is true power in in forgiveness and and to remind you that god is always there i mean even if he doesn't feel like he's present even if he doesn't feel like he's doing any work in your life and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying be persistent in your prayer and um like i said it took 30 years for me to get here and you know i've been praying for god to to, to deliver me from all this thing to to deliver me from these feelings of you know, not feeling worth much or having, you know, all of that stuff. I dealt with that for so long and I prayed about it for so long. And, you know, as I look back in my life, I realized the people that he brought into my life and the events that happened were all meant to be, to bring me to where I am today, to be sitting here in front of you and to, and to be telling you this story. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're at a point where I'm like, I don't even know how I can begin to forgive whatever happened to me or whatever the situation was, like, it's just too much. I can't do it. You know, I want to, I want to encourage you that, that God knows, God knows you <laughs> and ask him to help you and ask him to, you know, if you don't know how to forgive or feel you can't go to Jesus and ask him to help you trust that he can overcome. He can break the chains and the bondages, the bondages of sin that, that are in your life. And there's nothing that he can't forgive. That's the fundamental goodness of his mercy, God's mercy. And I, you know, I, I truly believe obviously that God's best gift to us is, is our salvation that he gives us through his mercy and his forgiveness. And what's the best thing that you can do for someone else is to extend that mercy and that forgiveness to another person. And, and, you know, forgiveness is, is, um, 
I got this from Janet Bankovic Williams, who runs Women of Grace, but she was talking about forgiveness and she says, forgiveness means we employ the grace of God to give us, forgiveness means we employ the, the grace God gives us to move forward in action so that we are freed from the sin that is committed against us. We move more towards God and receive the healing that we need. Forgiveness is a free will action prompted by grace that sets us free from the act that was perpetrated against us and permits us to freely move again. And she goes on to say the forgiveness does not condone any of the hurtful behavior that may have happened and it doesn't mean that our pain doesn't matter or that everything is okay or that we should allow ill will to continue. Um, but forgiveness is, a, is not a feeling. It's a conscious choice. It's an act of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. It's a private and ongoing choice that has to be renewed daily in our hearts. And the, the one big thing, too, is that forgive, our capacity forgive, to forgive someone does not depend on their behavior or permission or even their, that, the other person's expression of remorse for their behavior. Forgiveness means willing the good of the offender and willing greater prosperity, goodness, and wholeness in, in their lives, which is, you know, what is one of the meanings of love is that you're choosing the highest, you know, you're choosing good for another person. That is, that is an act of love. And so forgiveness in a way then is an act of love. And, you know, God calls us to love our neighbor. And that doesn't always mean love in the, you know, the emotional, ooh, I love you feeling you know, that we often associate the word love with, you know, love means that we wish the best for this other person, no matter wishing what. Best. Amen. Wishing God's goodness upon them. So I just kind of want to leave with that no, as that's, my that's final perfect. thing. That is so perfect. Thank you. What an honor for me and for Fiat Ministry Network to have you as a guest. I definitely invite you to come back again. Um, so again, I just invite people also to connect with you. Is there a way that they can reach out to you via either, uh, email or social media as well? Or would you suggest these two websites as the best place? Um, yeah, the, um, fertility care, Rochester, New York, fertility care, Rochester, New York. That's the website that, um, you can reach the fertility care center of Rochester where I work. And that's one of the best ways to get a hold of me. Um, and the other thing I, the other website I wanted to mention was the Abortion Survivors Network. I do encourage people to look at that. It's, it's abortionsurvivors.org. And that is just, you know, the network of other abortion survivors as well. And Melissa Oden created that website to, you know, further that ministry as well. And so I encourage people to check that out. I do too. Thank you. Now, yes. uh, also, uh, we have something special that you can uh, can watch that's going to be coming mm -hmm. up on a, a site called patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry. You will have an opportunity to watch a short video with Alexandra Andrews and, and I as we talk about five minutes of faith. And Alexandra will give us uh, a few tips to grow in your prayer life. So be sure to check out that website sometime after this broadcast. So again, Alexandra, thank you for joining me on Journeys in Faith. And we will see all of you next week on the show. Have a great week. Thank you.